the brothers and sisters in Christ, may the Lord give you his peace. Amen? Amen. Have you ever done something you are proud of? So proud, in fact, that you just could not wait to show off and to share your accomplishment with others, your close loved ones, your friends. Maybe it was when you were a student and earned great grades on your report card. You couldn't wait to show off your grades. My relatives would award my hard-earned grades by giving me a dollar. That was a lot of money in those days. Or taking me out for some nice treat that I wouldn't otherwise obtain. Or maybe you received a promotion at work. You just couldn't wait to share the great news, to hear others offer their sincere congratulations. Maybe you created something magnificent, a marvelous meal, a work of art, a construction project, or any other kind of creation that makes you proud. How wonderful it is indeed to be lavished with the accolades for a job well done. Perhaps you couldn't wait to show off something more sublime, like a newborn baby. Isn't it awesome when grandparents, aunts and uncles, and neighbors and friends are all caught up in awe and wonder at the fruit of your marital love? The fact is that it is eminently human to enjoy being pleasing to others, especially those who are important in our lives. Performers even enjoy being pleasing to total strangers. They thrive on the applause of others. These days, some people go so far as to seek being liked on social media, like Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram. It all taps into the basic human need to be pleasing to others. Ultimately, however, it taps into our basic human need to be pleasing to God, our Heavenly Father. This gives rise to a couple of questions, a sort of examination of conscience, if you will. First, how much time and attention do I devote to becoming pleasing to God? Second, if some choice in my life comes down to either pleasing people or pleasing God, how am I inclined to choose? In other words, is it more important that I please people or that I please Almighty God? Imagine yourself standing in the presence of God Almighty and hearing him say one of two things. It's highlighted by the prophet Isaiah in the first reading. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one with whom I am pleased. And this is echoed by St. Mark in today's gospel. And a voice came from the heavens. You are my beloved son with whom I am pleased, well pleased. Followed by the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 25, which harken back to the feast of Christ the King at the other end of our seasonal celebration. Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is how God will show his great pleasure for those whose lives were dedicated to loving God above all else. 
That is the victory of justice that Isaiah speaks of in the first reading, which makes us pleasing to God. The victory of justice makes us pleasing to God. It simply means that we live just, or that is to say, righteous lives. We love God above all else. Then we love our neighbor and then ourselves, just as Jesus taught us. But, and this is an important but, it is possible that our loves and affections become all muddled. It is possible to love ourselves over God and our neighbor, or to please others over God. Now imagine we act unjustly towards God and neighbor. Do we think for a moment that this makes us pleasing to God? Might we not run the risk of instead hearing God say those other ominous words from Matthew chapter 25? For the goats, as it were. Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Who wants to hear that? My sincere hope during this year of St. Joseph, who sacred scripture describes as a just or a righteous man, is that we dedicate ourselves to becoming ever more pleasing to God Almighty. The feast of the baptism of the Lord reminds us of our common call to holiness, to be pleasing to the Lord. It further reminds us the sacramental grace of our own baptism equips us to live holy and pleasing lives for God. The sacrament of baptism, as you may recall, provides us with a sort of spiritual toolbox, so to speak. In this toolbox, there is a chisel that chips away original sin from us. In this toolbox, the triune God gives us himself through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Consequently, he gives us a share in his own divine life, which is called sanctifying grace. It's the grace that gives us a participation in God's very own holiness. In this toolbox, there are welding rods that graft us together as members of Jesus Christ in his mystical body, the Holy Catholic Church. In this toolbox, we are graced with the theological and moral virtues needed to live holy and pleasing lives, just and right-order lives before God and man. In this toolbox, we are further graced with the first measure of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are to be later increased and strengthened when we are confirmed. These gifts make us ever more Christ-like and pleasing to our Heavenly Father. In short, in this spiritual toolbox is everything we could ever need to live as faithful and holy Christians that don't just talk the talk, but who walk the walk. We only need to cooperate with God's grace in our lives each and every day to walk the walk. This is never easy. It never has been easy. But at sometimes it has been easier than others, and sometimes more difficult. And I fear that living a life pleasing to the Lord is going to become tougher as our institutional effort to cancel or to eradicate Christ 
Christianity and Christians from acceptable society intensifies. I will now refer to a little bit of Christian history to illustrate my point. It was about the year 122 AD, around the time of the famous eruption of Mount Vesuvius in Pompeii, which is proximate to Naples in Italy. A Roman aristocrat named Pliny the Younger was magistrate of a region in the Roman Empire in what is today modern-day Turkey. And Trajan presided over the entire empire as emperor. No sooner did Pliny become magistrate than that he had to deal with a local controversy, largely instigated by the local merchants that peddled the goods needed for the Roman pagan worship. They had an economic interest in the pagan worship. You see, many Roman peasants had converted to Christianity. Not only did they not participate in the pagan worship, which made them kind of weirdos, they had their own strange worship that involved a meal and sacraments, or oaths as they were called in those days. But more importantly, they simply had no need to do business with the local merchants as they peddled their paganism. So of course, this was displeasing to those peddlers. So Pliny arrives as the magistrate. The whole controversy was new to him. But he had to deal with it or otherwise contend with an increasingly angry mob of merchants. Upon investigation, Pliny discovered three kinds of people being accused by the merchants. First, there were those who denied ever being Christians at all. So as long as they went on to practice the pagan worship, Pliny pardoned them. They had no worries. Next, some admitted to having been Christians at one time, but having renounced Christianity under pressure. And so as long as they proved themselves by willingly offering pagan worship, they too were pardoned and the merchants placated. Finally, there were the faithful Christians. They were not concerned about pleasing Pliny, but pleasing the one true God Almighty. These courageous Christians, both men and women, lay and clergy, even after torture, were given an ultimatum, abandon Christ or die, to put it bluntly. Be a Pliny pleaser and live or be a faithful Christian and die. Three times the offer would be made, each time with increasing threat and torture. If at any point they would renounce Christ, they would be immediately pardoned. Those who chose not to be a Pliny pleaser, well, they were executed. But it was these same men and women that hear those glorious words from our Heavenly Father. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one with whom I am well pleased. Again echoed by St. Mark in the Gospel. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. Could be easily put there as well. You are my beloved son. With you 
I am well pleased. Followed again by the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. So now I conclude by referring back to that earlier examination of conscience. Food for thought. How much time and attention do I devote to becoming pleasing to God? And if some choice in my life comes down to either pleasing people or pleasing God, how am I inclined to choose? In other words, is it more important that I act as a plenty pleaser or that I am pleasing to God? Only you, dear brothers and sisters, can answer that question for you. But remember the magnificent words of God. Come, you who are well-pleasing, blessed of my Father. May the Lord be praised now and forever.